This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim has been named Malaysia's 10th Prime Minister. This is a culmination of a roller coaster political journey for the 75-year-old whose imprisonment in the 90s led to street protests and a people's movement that propelled the nation's opposition bloc into a massive political force. So who exactly is Anwar Ibrahim and what are his political leanings? I'm Dashan Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Dr. Bridget Welsh, Honorary Research Associate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia's Asia Research Institute. Welcome to the show, Bridget. How are you? I'm fine. Great to be here. Um, before entering the world of frontline politics, Bridget, um, Anwar was a youth and student activist, even way back in the 70s and 80s. What can you tell us about the early days of Anwar Ibrahim and what he was fighting for back then? So Anwar was a student at University of Malaya, and he his first kind of involvement in politics was he joined, he became the president of the National Union of Muslim Students, and that goes back to 1968, right, right before the time of, uh, of uh, you know, of the pivotal year of 1969, um, and then later he would uh, he would continue with his kind of expansion of kind of a, a bit of a combination of ethno nationalist but also religious type of or uh, uh, Islamist type of uh, engagement. Uh, uh, he became a member of the Muslim Youth Movement, or ABIM, which he co-founded. Um, and, you know, and this was kind of a very strong activism. And I think it's important to understand that, that uh, you know, after 1969, the political space for uh, the arenas for opposition for the, and raising concerns were, in, were largely through in the areas of religion. Uh, and Anwar was very a very charismatic young leader that came out of this activism. Um, the most pivotal event that most people remember is the kind of the what happened in, in Bali in 1974. Uh, and this was, you know, it was a kind of protest, uh, student protest against issues of poverty and hunger. Um, and this, of course, led to Anwar's first arrest. So, so we see a situation of where we student activism uh, of kind of opposing the government uh, using uh, an Islamist organizations. Right. Um, you know, when we look at UMNO, especially the early days of UMNO, even right now, um, many politicians um, were from elite family background. But Anwar Ibrahim, um, even at, uh, you know, when we look at his early student activism days and so on and so forth, he wasn't part of the um, quote-unquote elite family, um, you know, uh, elite UMNO family and, and so on and so forth, right? Well, I think that's not quite right. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, his his father wasn't uh, wasn't wealthy, right? right. Uh, in that context, initially, but his father was an MP for Amno right. uh, uh, for for ten years uh, uh, and for Semamprai, if I uh, if I remember properly. And his and his mom was an activist, um, a grassroots activist in Amno. So he, you know, in a sense, uh, he came from Amno uh, from a perspective of political. He was a political family. He wasn't the rich elite family. Family, uh, 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 you know, it, it, but it was a family that made their uh, standing through joining politics, mm. and, and, and subsequently, you know, he would actually continue to do that. Why did he officially join Amno in 1982? 
Well, I think it's important to to look at the context of what happened in the 1970s, right? We can see the rise of uh, uh, of, of PAS as a political party uh, in terms of uh, gaining traction uh, politically, and this was a time when UMNO was conscious of the of the growing opposition and the force of PAS, but also at that time uh, the mobilization of religion politically had become very very salient, and Anwar was a part a pivotal player in that mobilization in that period of time. And so what happened is that, you know, Mahathir looked at the situation and he, and he came into office uh, in 1981 and he, and he made a decision to sort of outreach to Anwar uh, in, in that regard to co-opt the Islamic forces, the Islamist forces that were growing in the Malaysian society. And, uh, and he chose Anwar Ibrahim because of his charisma and because of his leadership. Uh, with the hope that this would sort of temper, dampen the opposition to Amno politically. And now, in terms of Anwar's decisions, uh, I can't speak to why he joined Amno, but I think that the, the scholarship talks about the fact that you know, uh, uh, you know, this was became a political vehicle for him. Uh, it, it allowed him to grow um, and to and to be influential as a national leader. And keep in mind that he, you know, he has his parents were you know, from Amno, so in a sense, it was all almost like returning home to back to the party that he uh, that he knew. And he was given, you know, a very um, prominent position uh, within Mahathir's uh, uh, leadership. Uh, uh, you know, he was given a ministership. He was seen to be give, ga- gaining traction politically. Um, uh, and and he, he, he basically started to be able to build his political base within UMNO itself. Now, Bridget, could you dive a little deeper into what exactly were Anwar's political leanings at the time because he did contribute towards the Islamization of the Malaysia, right? So the answer to that is yes, but I think we have to unpack this a little bit more, mm. right? You know, in terms of looking at Islamic politics, right, there are, you know, there's a sense of uh, wanting to essentialize all Islamists as the same. This does a disservice to the debate with among Muslims about their faith mm. and how it's practiced. And it also does a disservice to uh, some of the, the dynamics that were taking place. Comparatively speaking, uh, Anwar Ibrahim among in the spectrum of Islamists was seen as a more progressive, uh, forward-looking uh, Islamist uh, in, ter- in terms of his interactions and others. Um, uh, but you know, from the outside, from people looking at you know the group, the power of uh, of the connection between Islam and and, po- and political life, you know, it was clear that these were conservative forces that were seen to be brought in to 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 uh, reduce the space for secular uh, um, activities and others. And it also gave it, it, it kind of intertwined and changed the kind of uh, the nature of politics by particularly bringing in uh, Islam into schools, into uh, um, into policies. Uh, and it became a, a, an important, continued and deepened the role that Islam would play in terms of the national politics, in terms of political mobilization. So I think, you know, uh, these two 
two points that I'm trying to get across. One is that uh, he was seen as more forward-looking, more progressive among Islamists, but at the same time, the fact that Islamism came into Malaysian politics, deepening the kind of the 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 nature of the divides over race and religion in the country. And so people look back, a lot of people look back uh, at, at, at Anwar Ibrahim as the person who changed the school structure, deepened the role of Islam in national political life. Right. Um, apart from that, uh, you know, once he joined UMNO, um, rose up the ranks, he was also made um, the finance minister at, at the time, you know, under Tun Dr. Mahade, who was the prime minister. How did Anwar Ibrahim fare as the minister of finance back in the day? Before I get to that question, I want to sort of unpack, you know, I think, you know, he came in, he was appointed and given favoritism in, in the, in, in, and also, uh, you know, he also was quite successful politically of mobilizing allies within UMNO. Right. Uh, and, you know, and it was in the early 90s where he, you know, his team, and many of the team members have been uh, in pivotal positions, uh, Najib, uh, Muyadin, right? uh, other members, including uh, Anwar, were part of that kind of that young, that, that particular no longer young, but at that time, relatively young cohort mm. uh, who really kind of rose politically. And so um, because of his success uh, of being able to galvanize and to, to displace other forces in Amno, that, that meant that he he gained traction from a perspective of, of holding positions of which Minister of Finance, was, the finance minister was one of those. Um, and, you know, definitely in the early 90s, the heyday of Malaysian economic growth, uh, we can see that that Anwar Ibrahim was touted as one of the world's best finance ministers, uh, and uh, you know covers and awards. Um, uh, in because and subsequently, as Malaysia managed some of the fi- the issues of the the Asian financial crisis, which is very controversial, um, he would also be be put within that spectrum of of the important role that he played in the mid uh, in terms of Malaysia's in steering Malaysia's economy. You brought up the the Asian financial crisis and all of that. That became a very tumultuous period in Malaysian politics. Um, And ultimately, um, Tun Dr. Mahade sacked um, Anwar Ibrahim from UMNO. Um, Anwar was the deputy prime minister at the time and Tun Dr. Mahade sacked him. Why did Tun Dr. Mahade sack, uh, sack Anwar from UMNO? Well, you know, in this, uh, you know, significant economic crisis, it also became a political crisis. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the scholarship identifies essentially, you know, three major factors. One, of course, that Anwar was definitely doing a political challenge of Mahathir's leadership. You know, there's no question, right? You know, you were, uh, and this, uh, keep in mind, this was the era, the first era of Mahathir Muhammad, where he was very powerful, had centralized political power, right? And he was now being challenged. Second of all, um, uh, there were specific differences over policies about how, how to handle the crisis. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Anwar Ibrahim at the time wanted to bring in more uh, assistance from the IMF uh, to, to involve in a more um, austerity proce- process. Uh, Mahathir wanted to have more control uh, of uh, and less uh, in international influence uh, in terms of the, the, the policy mechanisms. He wanted to introduce um, uh, 
uh, uh, pegging the curve, the ringgit. And so there were differences about how uh, to go about this in terms of to manage the crisis. And also there were concerns about corruption. And in particular, you know, how, and who was going to be bailed out and how was and, and which companies were going to be protected. And some of those will talk, some of the scholarship talks about, you know, particularly the vested interest of associated with that uh, in that context. Uh, people talk about, um, you know, the companies that Mahathir's family owned as being also part of the, the behind this kind of uh, these factors. So as we all know in Malaysian politics, uh, these com- these issues often highly personalized, <laughs> uh, but at the same juncture, there are sometimes behind that, there are very big differences about how they see um, uh, the, the crisis to be managed. Um, and I think uh, those both those things came together in this period of time. But of all of the factors, it was definitely clear that Anwar Ibrahim was taking an open challenge to Mahathir's leadership. Earlier, we talked a little bit about um, Anwar's um, outlook when it comes to, let's say, um, social policies. Um, he's, he was a sort of Islam, a progressive um, Islamic person, um, and, and he had that agenda. But when we look at economics, right, um, you, you touched on some of the differences between Tun Dr. Mahathir's approach to, the, to economic policies compared to Anwar Ibrahim. Today, when many people look back, um, people tend to criticise Dr. Mahade's privatization policies um, back in the day, for example. Um, but looking back, especially when we look at how they each of them wanted to hand, uh, handle the Asian financial crisis, um, provide solutions to that, um, would you say that Anwar Ibrahim was a bigger neoliberal than Tun Dr. Mahade at the time? As you would define it in terms of uh, accepting the kind of uh, or advocating or the um, austerity package that close connections with the World Bank and the IMF, one could say yes, that he was a bigger neoliberal uh, in that context. Uh, But I think that, you know, there were also similar patterns, right? They were both very pro-business. And and a lot of the privatization that you speak about happened after the financial crisis, not before. Um, And that privatization was part of the approach to sort of to try to um, uh, strengthen the economy. But also, uh, as we see, it also deepened the kind of Questions of governance and, and and accountability in the in the way that these the privatization process took place. So um, you know, would we don't really know where Anwar would have stand stood on these issues of privatization because he wasn't no longer part of the political process. He was in jail. Uh, but I would say that um, uh, you know he was definitely pro business and definitely had a very strong neoliberal connection during that period of time. Now, speaking of Anwar being in prison, um, he was arrested on the 20th of September 1998 and detained without trial under the country's infamous controversial Internal Security Act, ISA. Now, many attribute the sacking and this detention as the beginning of the reformasi movement. How do you see it? Um, Talk to me a little bit more about the origins of the reformasi movement. You know, this is not the first time that Anwar was arrested. He was arrested right. also in the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we, he has a history of challenging the system uh, in that context and paying a price for it behind bars. But I, but I would say that, you know, a lot of the what was happening in the Asia financial crisis, a lot of the reformasi movement was driven by what was happening in Indonesia, 
you know, kaka and as they talked about, you know, uh, kleptocracy and um, uh, corruption, and, uh, and and these are things that were very much very important, right? And and Anwar had very close relations to in Indonesia, is but and so when uh, the reformasi movement started to to move, you know, one of those central issues that I spoke to you about in terms of the cause of the crisis has to do with issues of allegations of favoritism and corruption, of which became his his. Mantra in terms of his challenge to to Mahathir, uh, and uh, and so that you know, and the way that sparked and became the fundamental core of Reformasi, this element of anti-corruption uh, area. But it was also a challenge to the powers that be. Um, and so what that meant is that, you know, for now the second time in his career, the first time being his student activism, the second time going back into Amino, the third time um, in this context, he had to develop new political allies uh, and and to reframe the movement. And keep in mind, uh, you know, this was a time of, of significant regime change or, you know, Indonesia changed governments, right? The idea was that Malaysia was going to follow uh, in that context. So there was this, te- this sense that, um, that this would be a, a profound opening up of the political system, uh, which of course Mahathir carefully navigated and made sure it did not happen at that time. All right, we do need to go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Dr. Bridget Welch, Honorary Research Associate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia's Asia Research Institute. After the break, we continue our discussion on Anwar Ibrahim's journey. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Dr. Bridget Welch. Honorary Research Associate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia's Asia Research Institute. And we're talking about Anwar Ibrahim's journey throughout the years. So, Bridget, who were Anwar's allies at, at the time? Because sometimes, you know, people fall into this trap and, and just thinking, you know, reformacy equals Anwar and, and this whole thing just becomes an, an Anwar show. But it is more than that, um, you know, he had a lot of people by his side um, challenging the system alongside him. Um, can, can it uh, paint a picture for us in terms of who fought alongside him all those years ago? So we have to distinguish between, uh, first of all, he had his allies at Amno, right? right. Uh, including Zahid Hamidi, not to be left out of this conversation, right? <laughs> uh, he had other people who were he was seen to be very close to, um, and they were, and some of them were punished for their relationship with with, with Anwar, right? Um, business community and, and many of the partners who he had worked with uh, and had his own uh, relationships with uh, were also punished in terms of that because it became a time of zero-sum politics, either with us or with uh, against us, and Anwar was portrayed as those against us. But what what was interesting is that Anwar was able to to bring some people from the system, Asman Ali being one of them, Izam um, being another. Um, uh, people like the social activists at that time, Tinchwa, all right, and he also began to 
to co-opt the um, the kind of the, this, the pressures for more open democratic space um, in the larger part of civil society. Uh, and so this movement, you know, captured Malaysia's imagination, the idea of, of, of change, the idea of improving better governance, uh, addressing the, the uh, you know, the, the core problems of corruption, which, which had become quite significant and, and of course have become since even more significant. But I think at this point of time, it was a, a sense of uh, uh, the so we saw that NGOs begin to 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 move with him, but what was pivotal at this time was was you know how he was treated, right? Yeah, uh, uh, you know I remember uh, in in Malaysia at that time, especially during the 1999 election, which was in some ways very similar to some of the things we've seen in this recent election, where we saw changes and mobilization in the Malay political uh, community. Uh, you know, it, it was. This it was a pivotal moment for for Malaysians because this was a leader that was treated in such a way. Uh, he's beaten up, and these things evoked very strong reactions. It was a time in Malaysian history where their views of leadership changed. <laughs> Mahathir, who had been kind of the the the, the developer uh, of the country, became you know uh, you know became. The demon, in some ways, of the terminology that was used against him at that time, uh, and uh, and and so his allies also became part of the public, right? Uh, you know, it's so so if we look at the continued support for Anwar Ibrahim electorally, even to, even to this generation now, um, we can see people who were who socialized during this period of time remember how he was treated, remember uh, uh, the way leadership abused their power, um, and were not held accountable. At that point of time. Uh, and this, you know, it was a very emotive time. Uh, and people, you know, across Malaysia uh, were, were very, were caught up in the, in the fact that this, this, you know, the deputy prime minister had been sacked and treated in this particular way. Now, since then, we've seen so many sackings in political life <laughs> that, that it's not, it's not, this don't have the same salience. But right. at that point of time, it was. And it was in the rallies and the, and the, um, uh, the, the, that period of, uh, subsequently around the elections were highly emotive affairs. Uh, you know, uh, when for I recall personally attending a political rally, well, one Aziza came into the rally, and you know you could see this kind of outpouring. People started crying. Yeah? There was the sense of connection, uh, of a sense of injustice that had been done uh, to him, but also uh, you know uh, to the to to Malaysia as a whole at that time. Um, how did Anwar successfully bridge an alliance with, with various factions? We're talking about people like, you know, we look back in the day, we're talking about, like you mentioned, Tian Chua, and then, um, you know, he became friends with Lim Kitsiang, um, you know, he became friends with um, Dr. Jayakumar of PSM. You know, various uh, of these um, pro-riot movements at the time all came together under the Reformasi banner. They, they all came together behind, um, together with, um, with Anwar Ibrahim. I'm, I'm wondering how he managed to do that because just prior to his sacking, um, you know, in the time when he was in Amno, 
we know folks from the DAP, for example, even when we look at Karpal Singh, they had many negative um, criticisms that were thrown towards Anwar. Um, you know, the same when he was in Amno, even the likes of Pass at the time, um, you know, had many, many crit- uh, criticisms towards Anwar. How did he manage to then, um, you know, bring the, the sort of various opposition forces um, together after that? Well, I think, as I pointed out, it became a social movement, but it also became a political movement. Right. Uh, and keep in mind that uh, DEP's strategy historically has always been to work with a Malay leader uh, in terms of national leadership, Tunku Rizali being the example beforehand. Um, and so Anwar Ibrahim, uh, you know, became uh, a person to to also make an alliance with. Uh, and the issues that he were raising connected to the agendas that they were also speaking to, both be in the DAP, but also in PSM. Um, and, and, and of course, uh, Anwar Ibrahim also founded his own party, Kyadla, mm-hmm. uh, which and, and what was interesting about that party was that it was from the onset a multiracial party. Uh, so it, it took on a very different type of character uh, than, than, than it had been in the past. Um, and of course, other parties are nominally multiracial. Multiracial, DP being one of those, and has worked to try to make itself more multiracial. I think at that time it was different because it was being led by a Malay leader to be multiracial, and that had been. They had, we've had those examples in Malaysian history, but the, at that particular point of time, it was important. So he did this through three re- three ways. Number one, he, his his sheer charisma was was a very important um, element of that. Number two, uh, you know, he framed the agenda in a way that allowed people to have connections to it to build those. And that, and he became that bridge builder. And number three, he he created an umbrella organization, so he allowed space for different types of voices to be within it. Reformasi was never so narrow, right? And this goes back to the point that I was telling you earlier about a multiracial party, about a framing things in a particular type of way uh, that of uh, you know of governance, uh, so that people could connect into that from different spectrums. Um, uh, so it wasn't just about one community or about one faith. Uh, It was about a broader umbrella movement. Um, And he's known, and Anwar Ibrahim has been known about, you know, for his political skills of being able to build bridges, uh, to make alliances. Um, And I think we can see that all the way back to the early six, the late 1960s. Mm -hmm. So those things were, became important skills subsequently. But keep in mind, a lot of this movement was not being built by him personally, uh, in terms of the mobilization on the ground, has been built by people um, uh, who supported him, uh, people like Tinchua, for example, um, because uh, Anwar was in jail. Bridget, we fast forward to 2008. What was significant about that year? Because as we've talked about, you know, Anwar has been, you know, active, um, you know, in politics in, in one form or another since the 60s, 70s. Reformasi movement started in 1998. But even then, when we look at, let's say, the 2004 elections, Barisan National did fantastic um, two-third majority. Um, Abdullah Ahmad Badawi managed to get at that time. But in 2008, the opposition made massive gains um, politically. Um, you know, they, they took five states, um, you know, for the first time in Malaysian history. Um, how, what was significant about 2008? 
Before I answer that, there's one more thing I forgot to mention about right. his allies. And that is, you know, the other thing that Anwar was very successful is that he had a lot of international support. Mm. Uh, and uh, and that and his so his agenda, his agenda and his persona uh, were supported at, outside. Um, and, you know, particularly he was very close to Al Gore, among others at, at that time, who was the um, uh, and who also had made comments in, the, in Malaysia, which would become very polarizing. But but this international persona, this connections in Indonesia and the Muslim world uh, became part and parcel of who he was. And I think so who he, who he still is as a politician. Um, uh, you know, I think his allies were global in scope in that context. Now, to go back to, six, to 2008, keep in mind there were three drivers of that election. The first of which is that uh, the internal divisions within AMNO, the opposition against Abdullah Badawi. Uh, his leadership was, was seen as weak uh, and we see a lot of internal sabotage that happened in that particular election. We have the Hindraf protests that really transformed uh, politics in, uh, in Malaysia. Uh, we, and it, it brought, it widened the spectrum of issues that people were looking at uh, from the perspective of, uh, of political mobilization. Um, and it, one of the impacts of that is that it allowed the opposition to start to um, to become more multi-ethnic uh, in that context. Keep in mind that in, 2000, in 1999, a large number of the supporters uh, of, of Anwar were Malay, right? If we look at the voting trends, right? Uh, right. Uh, yes, you had supporters across spectrums, uh, but I would say, you know, it was a Malay political tsunami that happened or a political wave and change in 2000 and 1999. By 2008, we saw a situation where we had these multi-ethnic uh, issues and, and Indian representation and rights were very much part of that. I think, and then the third thing that happened in 2008 is that you know you have, um, you know, uh, Abdullah Badawi opened up the political system. Uh, his legacy will be to kind of create more democratic space, uh, uh, and uh, and I think that allowed for more mobilization. The whole nature of political campaigning, information, all of these things were were changing, and so we saw uh, that 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 uh, the VN lost their two thirds majority, and at the same time they also lost uh, state governments. So I think this was a, a really profound shift, um, a shift strategically for the reformasi movement but also a, a shift that happened as a result of, of what was happening within UMNO itself and as a result of uh, Abdul Badawi's leadership. So we're getting closer and closer in timeline towards Anwar finally becoming Prime Minister. But of course, there were more challenges um, post-2008. Yes, at that point, opposition was at its strongest um, in comparative compared to before that. But, uh, you know, Barisan was still winning a huge number of seats. How would you sum up Anwar's chapter during the Najib administration? Well, you know, a pivotal aspect of why he was arrested in, 90, uh, in 1999, 1998, those events uh, was, of course, his he was charged with sodomy and right. corruption. Uh, and, uh, you know, what the the tactic that Amno used at that time was to try to, to, to undercut his moral standing. Uh, and, and you know it was it was almost like a moral battle that was happening in, in political life and 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 those charges were levied against him uh, and that we saw in in the context of the Najib administration uh, you know these were two friends but at the same time they were basically 
almost, they were political mates. They rose to the political process together, but they weren't, uh, so they knew each other, uh, but at the same time, they became political foes, right? <laughs> and, and and we saw that, you know, Anwar faced that, again, another set of charges. <laughs> um, and what this is, what that did, um, I think, is that it, it deepened the kind of the suspicion and the concerns uh, and the issues of the debates on morality among certain sections of Malay society. Uh, so, you know, uh, he continues to have these issues of uh, his sexuality being part and parcel of how he how he's being perceived. Uh, and uh, and this is um, these charges did have an impact. Um, and of course, uh, they were reinforced uh, as a, yet again, uh, you know, he was targeted um, during the Najib administration and jailed. Um, how has Anwar changed over the years, Bridget? Looking back at his um, entire political journey from the 60s until today, do you notice changes in, the, in his approach or even his vision for the country or his ideology? I think, you know, one of the questions that people always ask is, who is the real Anwar? Right. Because, you know, I, and then these, this is, and I think that there, you know, the, he has faced uh, in some ways an unprecedented attacks in terms of his trust levels, his, uh, you know, his, who he is. And, 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 but at the same time, he's also had, you know, he keep, he says very different things. And he, I think he, you know, one of the, the lessons has been is that as politics has changed, people used to say different things to different communities. Now you can't do that anymore hmm. <laughs> in this context. Right. Right? So, and, and so we can see, you know, he's gone from being a, a very, um, uh, dynamic Islamist uh, in terms to becoming uh, and seen as a conservative for or conservative to being portrayed and, and being seen as the epitome of liberals uh, in that area. He's seen as portray, uh, portraying issues of um, and focusing on mobilization around the Malay community to becoming one who is mobilized around all communities, but particularly uh, his political support comes from non-Malays at a higher level, uh, although he does have a uh, significant Malay support uh, um, that cannot be you know, underestimated. Um, he's seen as being a uh, charismatic in, in individual and intellectual to others who say that he's not clear exactly what he what 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 particular policies and and stand uh, he's identified. And I think in the recent campaign um, he's focused on issues at the macro level, right? Uh, not necessarily in the nitty gritty in terms of the policies. He is uh, an intellectual, right? Uh, he's a globalist. Um, uh, he, these are you know he's seen as representing a more progressive forces in the country. But, you know, there are people who have their concerns, given these issues of the history that he's had. Um, and uh, and this is where, you know, he has he does have to navigate those particular the trust building exercises, uh, both within liberal groups as well as within more conservative groups. Although I think the more conservative groups challenge is going to be even more of a, a challenge than, than it might have been in the past. Um, and, you know, he's very much a product of his times, right, uh, uh, where you think about politics through race and through religion um, and now it, how to get out of that framework in the particular context when that, that has become so deeply codified um, once again uh, becomes, a, becomes a particular challenge. 
And, you know, after so many years, um, we talk about the reformasi movement, um, how Anwar has changed over the years, um, him going in and out of prison many, many times um, or throughout his, his journey in politics, um, you know, unfairly um, persecuted politically and so on and so forth. Um, how important do you think of a, of a juncture we are in Malaysian political history that Anwar has finally become Prime Minister of Malaysia in, in 2022? What exactly does that mean? Um, when, when, you, when you think about Anwar is now the 10th Prime Minister of Malaysia, what does that mean for Malaysia moving forward? Let's start with the positive, right? Uh, we, we see a situation where, uh, you know, the, the, reform, the reform, the progressive forces, the one that bringing about change, better governance has gained traction. Um, and it has ha it, it's consolidated and kept his, its main core support uh, among large sections of Malaysian society. Uh, Anwar became the embodiment of, for many people, of, of bringing about a better Malaysia. Uh, and so his his election uh, really comes with the expectations of that, uh, and it comes with the sense that you know he can he will be able to to bring about the things that he talked about reform, reducing corruption, uh, a more equality, uh, uh, equal treatment for all, all um, a sense of uh, uh, of social justice, uh, attention to the of the concerns of all communities, Malaysians included. But it is a sense of this sense of uh, of moving Malaysia towards a different future that uh, Anwar has embodied. And keep in mind that his his movement has been highly around him and personalized, right? right. And so in this and this begins the the sort of the the caveats that I want to sort of highlight is number one is that because it's so personalized, um, then now the attention is very much on um, on what he does as a person, uh, and and you know it's a lot easier to be in opposition than it is to be in power, where you have to make very difficult sets of choices. Um, and you have to make choices that will probably alienate part of your political base right. uh, because they become reality choices. And, you know, many people felt that this is, uh, some people feel this is about Anwar, not about the reforms. And and these are the choices that he, now he has to be able to show that he is actually delivering on that in a context that is extremely challenging for him from the perspective of, uh, of having to make compromises uh, in terms of uh, the, his coalition, potentially his cabinet, um, also, in terms of um, you know the political the political space that he has to operate is very small. Um, you know his his coalition still remains highly fragile. So we have a we have a, a leader like Amri Ibrahim who has come to the to, to the prime ministership with arguably I would say the most difficulties of any prime minister uh, uh, and uh, with, but at the same time, the embodiment of high expectations for change. Um, not easy. Absolutely not easy at all. So just one final question to you then. Um, it's not going to be easy. So, you know, and, and, you know, especially given the fact that Anwar is not just leading a Pakatan Harapan government. Pakatan Harapan did not get the majority at the elections. This is going to be a, this is a coalition, uh, a hodgepodge of various parties. We're talking about Pakatan Harapan, and then we've got Barisan, we have GPS, GRS, all sorts of, um, 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 you, know, uh, you know, ideologies and, and so on and so forth coming together. What are some of the lessons he must learn from 
Pakatan Harapan's first time in Putrajaya, um, you know, when it comes to governing the country moving forward? So the first one is to manage expectations. I think this is very important, right? Uh, you know, um, number two, to make, to move it away from it being about him. Uh, because I think if when Mah- everything, you know, was around Mahathir and then when Mahathir did everything in a particular way, what we saw was this massive disappointment, massive anger among others. Right. Um, uh, I'm a more pragmatic person in terms of looking at politics. So I would say the third thing is to is to protect your base. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that uh, uh, what Mahathir did is he tried to galvanize. He tried to. He desired the support from people that weren't going to support him. And <laughs> while um, uh, he, at the and in his practices alienated his political base. Right. I think that um, you do need to support your political base and address some of the issues that they're concerned with, uh, be it reform, be it issues of uh, uh, education, be it uh, all of issues of uh, uh, representation. All of these things become very important. Um, I think number four, uh, Anwar has to build trust, and uh, you know he he he's been demonized in political life for a long period of time. Uh, but he also has a trust deficit in large sections of, uh, even within his own coalitions, uh, but also within large parts of society. Um, and so that means in order to do that, you need to specifically have very targeted successes, right? Um, and I think that uh, this this is something that, um, uh, you know, it's, we have to see how that's going to be done. But if you don't, if you lose trust very quickly, then this becomes a particular, in, especially in the precarious position that that Anwar's government is in, this becomes something that could undermine. Um, and that, and number five, so it's basically set clear priorities, build trust through, through those priorities, right? and be a task that becomes sort of concrete deliverables. So, right. Um, uh, and that there, there are two more. And number five is that you must have a good communication strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know what Anwar has done in his first week of uh, first few days of office is to try to bring in international support. You know the key thing here is not international support; it's domestic support, right. and it's how and how you frame that. Uh, yep. And and then of course, uh, Pakatan Harapan we learned uh, did not focus on the economy and cut uh, and we created austerity programs uh, at the same time. These type that type of formula doesn't work. I think we already see that Anwar is talking about the social safety net, which is positive. I think that that while we saw a rally in terms of the economic fortunes for, for people for Malaysia in terms of the ringgit and the, and the stock market. Um, I think the business community wants to see more um, and uh, something that's more concrete. And, and, and I think ordinary Malaysians want to see more in terms of what are the kind of strategies. And um, it's the, fundamentally, it's the economy. <laughs> you know, if you improve the economy, then you have a foundation to deal with some of these other issues. Uh, and uh, and I think we're, we're, everyone's looking and waiting to see how he's going to do with that. Absolutely. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Bridget. It's always a pleasure. That was Dr. Bridget Welch, Henri Research Associate at the University of Nottingham, Malaysia's Asia Research Institute. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.